Hey, this is Arlen with my version of how peace in our time came to be. The location, Los Angeles, 1988. Big Country has just moved to Los Angeles after signing a deal with Reprise Records. Today's scene, the day after signing the deal, with the boys sitting around the swimming pool drinking mimosas, when a fat guy in a white suit smoking a cigar named Stubby, uh, well, the man, not the cigar, walks up to them and says, Boys, welcome to the Reprise family. I'm here to break America or have America break you. Trust me, I know what I'm doing, and I need to give you a makeover both visually and musically. From what I hear, boys, you're here because your last two albums didn't hit it big in the U.S. I hear they were big in uh, in Europe. I hear you even had a number one hit called Look Away that everyone in Europe, with the exception of a couple of Norwegians, seemed to like. But we don't like Norwegians in Los Angeles either, so we're fine with that. Boys, we're here to make hits, shiny, happy pop hits, pop hits full of keyboards and singing ladies. And you guys are a little weird, but I can work with you. First thing we're going to do is get rid of your producers and hook you up with a real producer. Get rid of that goofball, Lily White. We're here to have you work with Peter Wolf. No, no, a different Peter Wolf. Peter Wolf was the man who put the star and starship, the Chung and Wang Chung and the Com and Commodores. And he's here to put the big in big country. So first your look. If you're going to have hits in America, boys, you need to be on the cover of Tiger Beat magazine and have posters on the bedroom walls of teenage girls. So first, Bruce Watson, guitarist, you're the Ricky Rocket of this poison. You need to go off and look like Ricky Rocket. Um, Stuart Adamson, I hear you're the lead singer, and that's good because you're the pretty boy. You need to have lead singer hair. You need to look like you came out of New Kids on the Block. Or here's a picture of Nick Kershaw. Why don't you look like him? And fashion-wise, well, I got one word for you, vests. Tony Butler, bass player, you're fine. You stay like that. And Mark Mark, Mark the drummer, first thing that's got to go is your name. You are now Marky B. And for your look, I got one word, mullet. Mullets are never a fashion mistake. They are eternal and will never go out of style. Next, you're singing. I've never seen you guys play live, but I uh, heard one. <clears throat> they played me your past hit there that, you know, that I will walk 500 miles and I will walk 500 more. Yeah, you guys, you got to stop that. You're already a half communist from what I hear. And if the people in Nebraska and Kansas are going to buy your records, then they need to not be put off by your singing because I kind of understand what you say. So, Stuart, I need you to step to the mic, stop sounding shah, which I think is some communist code word, and I need you to enunciate the lyrics. And in terms of the demos, I've heard the limos. I can't tell if you want to be the Scottish Springsteen, the Chieftains, the Almond Brothers, or the Fairport Convention, but I'll tell you what. You can keep five of your originals as long as you put on five new ones, then heave hits. Hits, boys, I need hits. Stick with me and we'll go places. Or something like that. Hello, everyone. We are indeed back in quick succession for episode 63, part three of our Peace in Our Time monumental deep dive. And we're just going to jump right into it where we left off. We're going into what I think is the great power ballad of the album. And I think you'd have to call this a power ballad, at least how I define a power ballad, which is slow track that eventually kicks into a heavier type of chorus. And we don't want to call this necessarily heavy in any respect, but um, I don't know. I would consider this a, a big country power ballad. And that's everything I need. You got everything I want. 
Again, I've got to go back to when I was first listening to this album, and you touched upon the track listing already and the, and the tracking of this album. And I remember at this point, I was really getting a bit uh, hopeless. N- not like I thought everything sucked, but I was just listening to it for the first time. I knew I would have to go back and take it in and, and form my lasting opinions later. But I just wanted something to come out and, and pummel you know, at this point, I mean, we're five songs in now and we haven't gotten anything like that at all. And then we get what's obviously going to be a slow ballad song immediately. You know, that's what's coming. So over the years, though, I've come to really when I listen to this song and separate it from all of that and look at it just, you know, in a very, um, you know, looking at it as an individual track and not thinking how it stacks up with the rest of the album. Um, I've come to really love this song. And uh, it's a great tune, I think. But one of the first things that always struck me about this song in the early days of listening to it, and I've talked about this on the show before, and this will actually be a compliment to Peter Wolf, to Peter Wolf's insanity of sampling things and and playing them back on his damn Sinclavier. But that intro to this song, First of all, I always I always thought it was an acoustic guitar because it sounds like an acoustic guitar, and it and in in fact it was acoustic guitar sampled. Uh, but I always thought the intro of this song was really really stunningly beautiful. It, it was so crystal clear these these notes that were being played on the guitar, and there's just a real it was a sound like I'd never really heard before. And when I listened to it in headphones, I kind of realized why. It's because each note that's played. Each successive note that's played is panned hard left and hard right. And it creates this really interesting sound. And for years, I used to wonder how in the hell did they do this? I couldn't imagine how, what kind of engineering feat was done so that they could isolate a separate note to the left and the right channels so perfectly. Anyway, so when we when we spoke with Bruce earlier in the in the history of the show, and he talked about Peter Wolf sampling all this stuff, finally it was like this mystery was solved. That's how he did it. He just sampled the key the, the guitar part, and it's much easier to do that kind of panning thing on the Sinclavier or the keyboard. I mean, you have total control over every note. And finally, that it made total sense to me. That's how he did it. The, the negative thing was that now I see it in other songs too, as we'll, as we'll hear later, um, where I may not like it. But for this song, I think it worked really, really well. And I also think this is a song that the recorded version on Peace in Our Time is much better than the demo version. Uh, we, we luckily have a demo version of Everything I Need, and it's good.
think the recorded version on Peace in Our Time is the superior version. And especially when it comes to the arrangement of the song, it's much more focused, it's much more streamlined. They picked the right part to be the chorus of the song, which was very confusing in the demo. And um, I actually think the, the big, airy production of Peter Wolf works perfectly for this song and makes it even more emotional. So anyway, I mean, we've got, after that intro, we've got the beautiful Ebo come, come in. And um, just a beautiful guitar part, a beautiful Ebo part from Stuart. And I remember hearing that and being like, ah, you know, just letting out a deep sigh. And we talked about little fleeting moments of big country appearing in this album uh, with the tracks that preceded this one. And this was a much more prolonged uh feeling of big country you know we get just this beautiful ebo part took me back immediately to hold the heart and some of these other things and it just sounded like big country um and and this is a song that just really begs i think for that big ethereal airy treatment and that's what we get here and i think it, it works really well um if you go back to that demo there's also another part in that in the song that they completely removed and i think it was completely the right decision and in the demo there's a there's a line that says I think it's it was one of those songs where um, Stuart wasn't really sure of the chorus in this song. It's like, is that the chorus? Is all the seasons rushing over me the chorus? I mean, what what's the chorus? And again, you don't have to like force someone to abide by these strict parameters every time they write a song. But sometimes those songwriting rules really are there for a reason. And sometimes they, it really helps to abide by them. Now, later, when we talk about some of these songs, I'll, I'll mention a, a, a example where Stewart didn't follow the songwriting rules in the demo and the demo was far superior to the album version but in this case I think what Peter Wolf did or whoever arranged it um, they were really smart in the way they arranged it because they took out that part they made they made the all the seasons rushing over me which to me is a far more powerful line and really gets to the um, heart of what the song is about they made that the focal point they made that the the obvious chorus and I think it works much better um so let's just talk about the lyrics for a moment. Um, when I looked at the title of this song, sort of like even more so than From Here to Eternity, again, I was starting to see like, uh, and I think I should have a reputation by now of being a real stickler for, for song titles, maybe to the point of obsessive compulsive disorder. I don't know. But whenever I see a song title that's a phrase or something that I've heard a million times before, I immediately you know, react against it or bristle. So I see everything I need before I've even heard the song. And I thought, well, that sounds like a very cliched phrase, you know, everything I need. Um, and, and that sort of made me look at it differently before I even heard the song. And um, I, I guess that would be one of the strikes you could, you could have against it. But, you know, Stewart's presentation of it in this song is so honest to me and so pure that at, a, at that point, if I would if I would detract from the song by thinking that phrase is a cliche, that would kind of just be, I don't know, that would that would just kind of make me a a jerk, I think, <laughs> because at that there's something about the lyrics of this song, and and they're very simplistic in a lot of ways, but they're they're really 
sweet simplistic. And what what I get from this song is uh, I get I, I feel like it's this it's a feeling of him expressing something that he talked about often in his career, and that is just really missing home, missing his wife, missing his family. In this case, specifically his wife, but. I think you really get that in, in this song especially, and especially in that chorus. gorgeous lyrics there and the way i interpret that is the season's rushing over me it's like he's out on the road time just keeps passing by you know it seems like he's been been on the road forever all the seasons are just rushing over him he's putting on a strong face doing what he has to do to tour to do the business side of big country to do what's expected of him but all these secret wounds are bleeding that he doesn't necessarily let show to the people around him because he he really can he's got to keep it together he's he's the central point of the band focal point of the band he's he's got to keep things going but these wounds are still bleeding and all the time that passes and all the tours the, the all the shows and all the places that he's going to they're pulling him further from his need from what he really wants which is to be with his wife to be with his family and i think that's i think what's so interesting is that we get these very simple things that he talks about in the song that you wouldn't normally hear in a love song. I mean, like he he talks about just going out walking or just going out driving as if it's the most magnificent thing that could be done. And when you're away from someone that you desperately want to be with and you're away from them for a long period of time, you do start to think of those simple things that you maybe took for granted before and how wonderful it was just to be in someone's presence and do something so generic as taking a walk with them or just sitting in a room with them. And that brings me to, to I think, what is one of the most um, beautiful lines from a romantic standpoint that Stewart ever wrote in anything that he's written. And that is... I mean, you know, if you're a woman and hears that from a man or whatever, yeah, I, I can only imagine that that would really, that, that's got to be a good line. I mean, come on, that's, that's, a, that's a chill-inducing line right there. And it kind of reminds me of um, Girl with Gray Eyes when he says to a woman, he says, you're like the brother that I never had. It's just a strange thing to say to a woman to say something like that. But it's it's also in its strangeness. It's so beautiful because it just seems like such a such an honest, almost desperate uh, declaration of his love for this person. I mean, you can't get any any stronger than that, really. You know, I would trade everything just for an empty room with you and I left there alone. That's that's a stunning line to me. So I, I just think this is a yeah, this has the Peter Wolf, um, 
you know, big production values going on in it. But I think he's, I think he's laid back enough in this song um, where it works and it's not overbearing. And I think there's just a certain beauty to this song uh, musically uh, that I just think it works really well with the lyrics and it gives it kind of a, a dreamlike uh, feel. And I think when it does kick in with the all the seasons rushing over me part, I think that's really powerful. And again, sort of like with From Here to Eternity, when in that chorus, when you've got the distorted guitars coming in in that chorus, you've got them here. And they're kind of just holding those big bar chords and ringing out, you know, the great chord progression, great choice to have these big uh, bar chords, these big power chords just hitting there and letting them ring and then going back to the, the beautiful Ebo part. So one of the other things that makes this song special to me is that if I pull off my wedding ring and look on the inside of it, it says everything I need on it, which was something my wife obviously put in there. So, you know, maybe I should rate the song higher for that because it's not like in the top five necessarily on this, on my list, but, um, it, it could it could be right up there, and kind of with a lot of these songs that we've done in past albums. Once I get past number one, number two, everything is really not that far apart. But uh, this is one of my favorite songs on the album, and um, well, actually, you know what? It is in my top five because it's my number five. I just revealed that, but you it just is my changed number five it. song. <laughs> yeah, I did change it. I, I had it a little. I had I think one step lower in an early draft, and then I went back and I. I thought, ah, I gotta boost this up. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was quite extensive, and I could make this my shortest thing and just say I agree because I think you covered everything on my list, and uh, we agree on pretty much everything. Uh, but yeah, maybe I can squeeze a couple of differences in. But for the most part, yeah, I, I do agree. I think uh, I think everything I need in its basic form is a beautiful song. It's a very nice and haunting even melody and especially the extremely sincere words of love and affection it, it really gets you the yearning in this song is intense and that's uh, that's really the crux of the song there it really comes across and also delivery of the song the way Stuart sings it it's, it's beautiful it really uh, you gotta have a heart of stone not to be touched by this song so um, I think uh, obviously the the demo that you said uh, it's uh, it's quite similar, with the notable exception that it took out the original chorus and used the bridge as a chorus, and I agree that was a good move. So, uh, basically, the difference of the demo and the normal song is that the album version became a power ballad. I, I quite agree. It is time to light up the lighters and, uh, and mind the hairspray, otherwise uh, the room will go woof. Uh, but I can really just see Peter Wolf becoming all wide-eyed when he heard this demo, because one of the things that he did, and that he would want to do, is to make a huge-sounding power ballad. He did this for all the albums he worked on, and as a consequence, uh, when he heard this song and said, yes, here we go, this is exactly perfect for this uh, this purpose. So as a consequence, the song ended up sounding very 80s in its approach with uh, a multitude of keyboard layers and stabs. I think especially the the chorus, it has stabs rather than layers, like it has the
yeah, it yeah. works. Stabs is the good word. Yeah, uh, it's got stabs, and then the versus has more the layers. But uh, that's that was that was how it worked of its time. In, in short, I think this song is everything that an 80s power ballad should be. Uh, so uh, as far as I can see, this song is part of the reason that the band ended up with Peter Wolf. This is the kind of stuff that was exactly what he did and what the record label assumedly wanted. Uh, Peter Wolf was known for churning out successful power ballads for all the bands he worked with. Uh, but having said that, and the reason why I think the song works so well, is that he didn't have to change the song massively. It was a ballad to begin with. It was very melodic to begin with. The melody is uh, really unchanged. So he could use the song really as it was. He just had to run it through the Peter Wolf filter and it would be done. Yeah. So uh, I think the another thing they did to improve from the demo was to slow it down. I was just going to say that he slowed it down. Yep. He, he did slow it down. And that's... Uh, I definitely have no issue with that. Uh, I mean, I go back and forth on perhaps where did they slow it down just a tad too much, but it does work better in that slower tempo. Uh, and the verse is also pretty much intact. Even the intro with the Ebo is present in the demo, and it's a very nice part. Uh, but I go a little back and forth, and I think um, I've said it in the past. I I am wary of when they use the Ebo to code something sugary sweet as a very nice beautiful sweet part which is something i've mentioned before i i love the ebo when they use it as more as a dramatic part with the the something is coming type feel like they do in lost patrol or the storm or or maybe when they use it for a haunting effect that might be my favorite uh, like in songs like all fall together uh when it becomes too sugary sweet it's uh, it's not something I'm very keen on, and I even think the intro to I Leaden is a little too close to that for me. And everything I need, as well, taps into that a little bit, but it also has a haunting aspect, which makes it a little bit better. So I, I go back and forth whether is it too sweet or does it satisfy my need for for a haunting, and I I, I think uh, the song works i i judge in the song's favor <laughs> so you've got to satisfy your need for a haunting yeah i wish i could satisfy your need for a haunting i think this album needs a good haunting to be honest <laughs> it's really too safe and sweet so, in the context of this album this is a no. hugely dramatic part yeah you're right but uh, in any case that's one thing that i think i like better under them would be the actual ebo intro but that might be just because the song is quicker it becomes a bit more um, different uh, so um, well in any case uh, less sugary sweet more ambience please he changed some of the notes in the melody line of the Ebo part 2 which I think mm. works better on, this, on the album version if you listen to them back to back there are subtle differences in the melody but uh, yeah, yeah I would agree with that uh, the main difference really so far is the tempo and the amount of keyboards and the album version really has a lot of keyboards but uh, uh, the um I can see how Peter Wolf latched onto the bridge in the demo and used that as a chorus instead. I, I really see it, and uh, I think definitely the chorus is stronger that way. So when we say that this is a power ballad, uh, I'm not going to be high and mighty about power ballads. I think they're not all good or all bad. Some of them are very good, and I can even still listen to them, but the bad ones are just so terrible, so truly awful.
most of the ones that Peter Wolf made fall into that category for all his other bands. <laughs> they are usually terrible. Uh, this is a good one. This is a beaut. And this is uh, less... I, I must be honest, I don't necessarily think Power Ballad, where, except when we sit down to analyze this album a bit, I think it has a big country ballad. Uh, the stabs of keyboard in the chorus is really what brings it closer to Power Ballad for me. That is extremely of its time, but uh, you can ignore them. And the rest of the song really is just a, a beautiful, sweet, big country song. Uh, with a lot of interesting sounds, including uh, you mentioned, uh, I think Tony's bass sound on on at least you did for From Here to Eternity. I know that for everything I need, Tony uses a Roland guitar synth on this track, and and he talked about that in the Making Music magazine, uh, and I have a quote from him where he says the guitar synth was that was actually for a bass part to make it sound more like an upright bass. But we had tracking problems. It was a few milliseconds out, to say the least. So we put the whole track through a delay line, except for the bass, and I played <laughs> against that. It, <laughs> wow. It wasn't perfect, but the sound was so great, we just had to do it. That's amazing. So, yeah, again, more studio trickery from Peter Wolf. But this uh, this evidently was one that Tony was more pleased with, that, that his, uh, his bass fitted into the whole overall picture. I know he would not be happy to have to feed it into the synclavier, but <laughs> there you go. Megalomaniac. <laughs> really. Uh, you said everything really that, that there is to be said about uh, the lyrics. There, there is something just so inherently touching about them. Uh, so sincere. And there is a pain hidden in them that is primarily revealed in the chorus when... Uh, uh, for all the reasons that you mentioned. The song is born out of time spent apart. And uh, it really mourns the time apart. And uh, yeah, in the context of this song, it's uh, it, it's really touching. Uh, the final verse is really the most interesting bit because there, there he reveals himself that maybe he's on the road with the band and going to all these places he will never really know because he is continually traveling from one place to the next. So for all these places we might go, places I will never know. It doesn't hold much value to him. So the fact that he's willing to trade it all to go back to the family is, is really telling. And uh, the extra dimension to that verse is that we know that he means this because he left both the skids and big country at various points took a home and spent time with his family. He did trade it all in for a chance to be alone with his loved one. And he put it in the song here. So knowing Stewart's personal history actually makes this even more touching. And it's definitely also making it more genuine. Yeah, no doubt about it. And it's kind of like what I said in, earlier in, in one of these things. It's like, yeah, Peter Wolf was a bit oppressive at times, but there's no way that he could completely – and I'm, I don't even want to cast him as like this ultra villain who, who set out to do this. But there's Too no late. way that he could – yeah, there's no way that he could completely subdue all of, all of the passion from Stewart and, and those moments are going to come through and they come through on this song I think quite quite well I don't have the impression that he um, he even invaded the lyrical space I think it was more about the music and how it sounded yeah, yeah you're right so it, there was room for Stewart to uh, to write the lyrics in a way that made sense to him now Peter Wolf might have had objections possibly but I don't think he would have suggested different lyrics. I think he would more urge Stuart, if anything, to write uh, new ones. 
Yeah, I think that's that's probably true. You don't really see many, if if any, lyrical changes on this out al- on this album from what we've heard on the demos. Yeah, no, except exactly. for parts that have been cut. So, yeah, and he would do that. He would cut it and just make it fit. But uh, yeah, in summary, this is this is really a beautiful song, and it's it's very touching. And this was early on one of my favorites on the album and uh, i did go through a phase where you know i think i'm tired of everything i need but uh, i've come back to it and uh, i think it's it's definitely one of the better ones and for, you already said you have it at number five and i have it at number three. Oh, nice good morning boys john wilbur in southeastern connecticut just gonna get involved in the peace in our time discussion I really liked the album. I always did. There was a time when I didn't listen to it that much, but the musical tastes come and go. But I, I remember when it came out, and I really liked it then. It was a bit different, yes. And the people that say, well, it's not big country, well, I have to disagree with you there because it patently is them. They may be trying to sound like somebody else, but they sometimes took somebody else's music and tried to make it sound like them. Sometimes well, sometimes not so well. The standout, of course, is Prairie Rose. That's all kind of tangent to the plot, as Stuart would say, about this time period. And this time period was them at their creative best, I think. I think that the REL tapes, Peace in Our Time, and No Place Like Home, the songs from there, are all rock solid. The versions we got might not be so much. Uh, One of the very best songs that Big Country wrote was I Could Be Happy Here. I didn't know that, of course, until Rarities 8 came out. And then I heard the root song for uh, I Could Be Happy Here. Having spent the past 15 years or so listening to the version that's on Peace in Our Time, which is, that version is good, but it's not as good as the two songs that were that were merged together. I really like In Your Homeland, I love the verses, not so much the chorus, and it's a shame that they took the choruses out of it and put it into a great song that didn't need those choruses to make the less-than-great version that's on the album. The demo version is superior, superior, and the other half of the song is, is superior, too. The uh, My favorite from this album is probably, with the way they are on the record at least, um, Everything I Need, which is probably a, sh- a shocker there. But I-, I really like that song. you got to have a song like that. Uh, Broken Heart is now one of my favorites off of this one, but only because 10 years after the album or so was recorded, they recorded it live in Glasgow and in Aberdeen, and they put Ebo solos in it and stuff like that. And that elevated it to uh, magnificent status. It was, it, was, it was improved greatly by that. And deleting all those synth, uh, synthesized pipes and all that other type of mayhem. But uh, no, the album, the album's a good one. It's lasted fairly well for me. I don't listen to it all that often, but when I do, I, I'm usually quite pleasantly surprised by it. And that's, uh, I think, about all I got for now. We'll uh, listen and keep up the good work. Really enjoy this stuff. 61 is not that far. you got another 61 in you, hopefully. We'll talk to you later. Bye.
So we have the title track of the album at long last and the start of side two and the third single. And uh, we also have in many ways the title that defined a lot of the PR activities the band did for the album. And I think we'll start with a quote from Stewart. Uh, I have this passage from Melody Maker, January 1989, where he says, or the, rather the article says, we are in a Dublin hotel room at midnight. And Stuart Adamson is talking about Big Country's hefty new single, Peace in Our Time. The band has just played a huge crashing set to a partisan crowd in the stadium, and he is still alert, still buzzing from it. When asked about the new single in the title track, he says, It really came out of the summit meetings between President Reagan and Mr. Gorbachev. It was neat to see politicians actually acting responsibly for once. It has to be encouraged for East and West to create links. And the media world and the arts should reflect that, reinforce it. What goes on in the world is our responsibility. I like material that reflects the environment it comes out of, and which is a part of society. So, in the quote I just read, Stuart is being very specific about being inspired by the summit meetings between Reagan and Gorbachev. It means that this is at least the second time that President Reagan has been an inspiration or part of an inspiration for a big country song. We have, of course, the fantastic Flame of the West on Steel Town, which we covered in depth on that deep dive. And now we have peace in our time. So um, we'll uh, start digging into it. Uh, I'll just mention briefly, because this was part of also the article, that uh, the Sinclair was used to record backwards guitar parts. Uh, simply uh, the, the chord sequence that follows it turned around. So you'll hear that in this song. Um, this is also a song where we have a demo. And this time, more probably than a lot of other songs, the comparisons with the demo is uh, significant. Uh, I think the demo is superior. It's obviously just a demo. It isn't finished. But I think a lot of the elements of the demo really should have been kept. Uh, and the way the song starts really is so much more exciting to me. The demo starts with that great guitar picking, which is dirtier than anything on the Peter Wolf produced version. And maybe also it plays into it at this point in the album. Uh, I really feel like hearing some guitar. And believe me, that we, we do get more on this song than on many songs prior on the album. But it's still clean. It's still mid-tempo. It doesn't really kick my ass. But it does sound like big country. So uh, we have the verses. I, I love how the guitar picking just keeps going in the background. And then halfway through the verse, how the band kicks in an extra gear that's that's the kind of stuff i i, I like to hear at this point and it just it makes me realize how i miss it um, also the pre-chorus bridge is really cool in the demo where he suddenly sinks up higher on a notch before they launch into the chorus really cool. Uh, the chorus itself is similar. Uh, it's very polished on the album version, perhaps even a bit boring uh, in the long run. Whereas the demo has a lot of really cool guitars and things going on in the background. So more a throwback to, 
to earlier albums which were very layered and very busy in the background there and it's not that busy here on on the demo thing but it it does have a lot more the album version is cleaner uh quite straight uh and like i said perhaps a little bit boring uh, i like the wonderful mid-song bridge that is intact lovely stuff and i'm sure people know what i mean where where all the rain come down on my desire that, that's a lovely part my favorite part in the song and my favorite part in the demo But the, after that, there's a lead guitar theme that comes in halfway through that song, uh, which is used much more prevalent on the finished album version. And I'm talking, of course, about their do 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 do. That goes over and over again on the finished album version, and it becomes a cool lead guitar thing. On the demo, that isn't used that heavily. And when it comes in the middle of the song, because you don't hear it all the time, I, I hear it, it hits me a little bit harder. So that was one thing that, uh, you know, I, I don't have a definite opinion on, on what's best here. Uh, they obviously picked up on it from the demo and used it a bit more, that, that's cool. But uh, when I'm not that used to it, 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 it does hit a little better. There's a lot of elements in the demo that, that I really like, but it is after all still a demo. It would be tightened up in any case, but I think there are things here that, that really, really work for me uh, musically on the demo. Uh, the album version, I, I go back and forth. It, it doesn't light my fire. It's great to hear the band, and you really hear the band here more than you do in a lot of songs. But for some reason, I, I guess the best way to put it, if you had put this song on any of the first three albums, it probably wouldn't have been a standout in that context. On this album, it becomes more of a standout, but it's kind of like a big fish in a small pond rather than it being so remarkable in the overall context of Big Country's catalogue. So I, I I go back and forth on how how I feel about this song in in the larger picture. Uh, the lyrics are very interesting. Uh, when you look at the actual lyrics of the song, it's very clear that he didn't write it very specifically about America or the Soviet Union. And I don't see anything as directly about Reagan as the case was in Flame of the West or, or about Gorbachev. It's more a song which speaks out against uh, injustices that are happening and wanting people to rally against them. So he brings it down, really, from international politics to a more human level. 
And the first verse is a very good example of this, where he says, Who holds the money, who holds the need, who holds the strings of misery or the purse of greed? And the gunmen reap what the gangsters sow, and the law is cheap when the smugglers go. This is a number of examples of bad people doing bad deeds. And there there are those who uh, have the money and the power and use it to control those in need. And we have the gunmen, and we have the gangsters, and we have the smugglers. So to have a verse like this lead into a chorus of give me peace in our time can actually be a little confusing. I I mean, I, I was confused for a long time because the verse really does not talk about war directly. It talks about the number of bad deeds. And you expect a song like this to speak out against, well, almost uh, soldiers fighting nations at war and things on a grander scale. And it doesn't quite do that, even though it does mention the gunmen reaping while the gangsters sowing. And this is the other side of that, because in war, people are taken advantage of. And there's always people who knows how to make a profit on that. And there is always a weapons industry who holds the money and who holds the string of misery or the purse of greed. And in recent years, you have mentions of how war has impacted the oil industry and ties to between politics and, and, uh, and oil and war. There are things going on in the background a lot of the time. So I could be reading a lot into this verse to try to make it fit with the theme, but I also think these things that go on in the background is really what Stuart is alluding to. And uh, that, um, if you look at the second verse, that perspective changes a little. Where he says, in sun-kissed rooms, in city slums, minds are restless till the air mail come. Now we're talking about the other side of the war, the people who... uh, sort of the families of the people who are out there. And that reference to airmail makes me smile because people of our age or older will remember that back in the day we had airmail letters, special envelopes you used to send things by airmail. And these envelopes were marked Par Avignon. That's right. <laughs> and my mind was always restless waiting for that to come. The new, the new country club issue or an import CD I'd ordered. Yeah, it was very cool. The mailbox was really uh, the source of a lot of uh, restless waiting. When you get one of those Par Avignon letters, it was always exciting. It means you receive something from another country. And of course, in the context of war, that um, that has a special significance because people at home are desperately waiting for news from those who are fighting, which will inevitably be fighting on foreign soil. So that's why these minds are restless until the airmail come. They're waiting for news hoping to hear anything, continually waiting. So that's the other side of the war. And there's also a part of this verse where Stuart touches on reconciling. And he says, the hardest love of all is to forgive as the world comes tumbling down. Uh, which is the tough side of this. In the war, there are losses. And if you should happen to lose a loved one or uh, anything like that, the world falls apart or it comes tumbling down. The hardest love of all is to forgive. You will curse the war, but you will also curse the other side. They took away your loved one. And this is how years of resentment just builds and why it's so hard to let go, to forgive or to move on. And I'm just thinking, obviously, as a person who lives in the the Nordics, how things used to be back in the day. You had these blood feuds that if you killed a member of my family, then I had to kill a member of your family. And then they had to kill a member of my family. And it just went on and on. And you had these years of blood feuds. And you just the chain was never broken until uh, one family was dead. So that uh, that goes way back, obviously. But it, it all 
puts into the same thing that the heart it's hard to forgive it's hard to break the chain when the world comes tumbling down and that's also part of this whole war thing the, the middle section like i said that's that's one of my favorites certainly musically that's almost a climax of the song where he sings let all the rain come down on blind desire like a thunder clown that holds a prairie fire very poetic nice lines uh the words seem to more call out for the rain to wash away all the bad things more perhaps poetic or picturesque than the rest but the last verse that follows is very interesting because this is sung out almost as a continuation of the bridge sings in a much higher register than the first two verses almost calling people to action and it says So also buying and selling. What comes to mind here is the words of Megadeth, peace sells, but who's buying? But as a contrast to that, I think what Stuart is saying here is actually war sells and everybody's buying. So again, he's looking at the cause and effect, the role of money, and how war can also encourage the buying selling. Uh, like he said in the first verse, who holds the money, who holds the need, and the purse of greed. So war is more than just a fighting on the battlefield. And he's focusing really on different and interesting parts of the puzzle of war in this song. And it's interesting that he was inspired by the mentioned summit meetings, and this is what came out of that. That's uh, that's actually quite noteworthy to me. Um, the demo contains... An additional verse which was removed on the final version which uh, we mentioned did happen from time to time and that verse goes Hide your hope for days to come. You understand the bell is rung. The lies are honest. Let missiles warm. You turn up your color and walk out in the storm. Almost seems like that's more from the soldier's point of view, but uh, it doesn't really fit. It's, the song probably tries to be too much to a lot of people, so I don't know. The, the structure of the, the final song sort of works in terms of length and ingredients. Um, I would personally have kept a lot of the approaches from the demo. I think the demo is really fantastic, um, if unfinished. It could be tightened up, but uh, they they really are on the right path on that one. And uh, just to briefly talk about the title of the song, and this goes into something you you mentioned uh, with uh, From Here to Eternity as well. I have a confession to make. I'm not really a big fan of the title piece in our time. And I guess it's really a mixture of several things. Because first of all, it represents the band's PR angle at the time, which really didn't speak to me. I I didn't want the band to start getting into multinational politics and relations. And I didn't want them to play embassies and play shows that seemed to have a political agenda. And the album title kind of represents all of those things to me. And it may not be fair to lump it all together. I I get that. But I don't think I'm the only one who who feels that way about the title. Uh, I certainly think that title was chosen on purpose with these things in mind. So that title will keep representing that to me, whether that's fair or not. For better or worse, it it does. And in my 
in my case, that's for worse. But also, the the phrase itself, independent on uh, of the values that big country put into it, it always struck me as uh, it's a little naive, perhaps. And I don't think naivety usually run that deep. The the phrase feels shallow. And for years, I I felt the same about the song before I actually sat down and saw that, okay, the lyrics actually are more than just a naive, give me peace in our time. But certainly that phrase and the chorus could strike you that time. Um, And there still are no solutions offered in the song. It's it's just a lot of bad stuff. And then in conclusion, just give me peace. So it taps a little into that protest march banner slogan thing. Give me peace and give it now. But I mean, that's okay. Everything doesn't always need to be deep by the but by the same notion i don't need to invest as heavily in everything either and this falls a bit into that Uh, and then finally on a more superficial level i can get into the message of the song but the personal significance is low Uh, this is not a song that the topic connects deeply with me beyond of course i want peace Uh, I I think I'm a peaceful guy in general. I wish all conflicts would be resolved easily and immediately. I I wish unethical money-making related to war would go away. I agree with the basic message of the song, but that doesn't mean I go around singing peace in our time with everybody as a personal theme song. Uh, And and finally, this this really is the final thing. It it taps into the same thing you mentioned for uh, From Here to Eternity, that I think um, someone pointed this out on the Facebook group as well, that the band would often fall into picking titles from books and movies or someplace else, uh, which you, you find that on most albums, you find examples of this. And on this one, that there's at least three examples on this album too, which I think is a lot when you have 10 songs. So um, yeah, now the title, I'm, I'm not a big fan of that. And it just reflects really how I feel about this song. We we had some songs on this album where we said this sounds like a decent song, but it doesn't sound like Big Country. And this this song is almost a bit opposite to me. It's a song which sounds like Big Country, but I just think it's it's an okay song. It's not more decent lyrics, but really non-engaging as far as personal resonance and and decent music. But uh, the album version remains a big letdown compared to the demo, which just means this song really is just another one of the casualties of the production and the producer choices, I guess. Very interesting. No, that's good points. I will disagree with some of them, agree with others, as is my want. Mm-hmm. But um, no, no I, first of all, I, I, think the, I think the main disagreement we would have on this track is I, I think the I think overall the the album version is the superior version from an arrangement standpoint. Um, I, there are a lot of things I like about the demo too. The, the main thing that I like about the demo, and you referenced it, and I I think the demo is better on that on this front, is that it does have a lot more grit to it and dirt to it. And yeah, the, those opening, which is how they played it live. Yep. By the way, um, that's a great great way to kick it off, and uh, it sounds it sounds great. Uh, for me, the where the demo I think doesn't fare as well is some of the structure, some of the arrangement. For example, the verses musically are completely different in the demo. Same lyrics, but um, they're, they're, he's kind of singing the verses over the same part that begins 
the song, if that makes sense, the same music, the dun 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 and he's singing the verse over that. It sounds cool. It actually sounds a little bit more big country-esque like that. But it gets a little bit monotonous to me. It's like there's not, there's not a, enough um, there's not enough change up there uh, dynamically and with the music to it, – it gets a little monotonous after a while. I, I think it was kind of a good idea to do what they did with the song on the album where they, they rewrote the music of the verses completely and turned it into that um, – turned, turned it into its own chord progression – uh, and I think the melody line of the verses works better. Oh, uh, I totally disagree that it lacks dynamics. I think halfway through the verse, the, the band kicks into it. They kick it up a notch. And at the end of the verse, Stuart starts singing it differently. That they keep building from the first little guitar pick all the way up to the chorus. So there's definitely dynamic and development in the demo. Well, there might be, but I, I think there's a lot more of it in the in the album version. I mean, no, when I you get agree. when when you get to the when you get to the verse, for example, in the album version, I mean, you've got almost what sounds like acoustic guitars playing. Um, you hold the money, you hold the need. It's it really comes down quite a bit from that gigantic opening, and I and one thing I, I definitely don't agree with with you on is that part you mentioned where he sings higher, leading the kind of the pre-chorus. I think that that part on the demo is very poor. Personally, it it, it sounds like Stewart doesn't really know what melody to sing. It sounds like he's straining too much. There's something about his voice there when he's like. <laughs> Keep in mind, it's a demo, so it, it would have been tightened up, and he would have sung it better. But just the the part and the the way they go about it, I think, uh, works. It's less. It is. It is how he sang it, but it's also the part itself. I, I think is it just doesn't work as well no. as the finished version. Fair uh, enough. Uh, yeah, I mean, I just I think the the way it was restructured for me, it, it just it just flows better. It if it it makes more sense. And again, a lot of that, you know, some of that could be poisoned just by the fact that I'd heard it so many times over so many years before I even heard the demo. But, um, well, and that's not 100% true because I think I did hear some of those live Under Wraps tour bootlegs, you know, in the 90s at some point. Mm, yeah. Um, but anyway, I, I mean, I, I, w I wish there could be like a melding of, of the approach of the demo with, with the arrangement of, of the final version, but... That that to me would make it a better song, even though I I still rate it pretty highly. Um, I think for me, what I have to go back to is is remembering the first time I heard it, and it was. I think you make a good point when you say like, how would this have fared on one of the past albums? Maybe it wouldn't have stuck out as much, but on this album, after after going through side one where we talked, you know, that there, it was just so laid back and 
so mid-tempo, if that, you know, going through side one. And I, I was just so desperate for that big country sound. So when this kicked in like it did on side two, I just remember feeling ecstatic. And uh, th- that's kind of a feeling that, <laughs> that that's kind of really guided my probably my rating of the song. But um, as I look at it, I think, uh, do I really want to rate it this high? You know, there are, I do have some issues with it, but I'll just leave it. But it, when I when I first heard it, I just thought, oh, man, finally, you know, finally, we've got big country like I want them to be. And it was just a big, bombastic sound. And, um, you know, it was it was what I'd been hoping for, for at least a couple of the of the of tracks on the first side. It's not like I wanted everything to be like that, but I, I wanted something along those lines. And again, I, I really think that, you know, opening the album with this could have been uh, would have been a better choice. But anyway, um Going back to the just to the presentation on the on the album version again, I think the drums were great in this song as far as the sound of them. I love Mark's parts in this song, and um, I was reading somewhere where somebody was saying how Mark Brzezicki's signature style is completely gone on both the Peace in Our Time and No Place Like Home albums, and I could see that on No Place Like Home to a large degree because I've always often felt that, but. I don't see that on Peace in Our Time. I mean, the, the drums sound different in, in the way they were recorded and presented, but I still feel plenty of traditional classic Mark Brzecki on this album. And, and this song especially, um, I mean, it's just a great militaristic type of groove that he's got going there, and he does some incredible hi-hat work in it. Um, the guitar line that you mentioned in the beginning uh, – ironically very u2-esque and i say ironically because you know the influence was the other way around than probably a lot of people thought you know, it was stewart was the edges influence but one thing that stewart really started to use a lot during this time was some of that digital delay stuff and he, he had used it before on other albums but it was more pronounced i think in this period especially on some of those demos from the rel sessions but you can hear that on this part it's like a delay going with with that uh, little guitar opening and I always loved that guitar opening I thought it was a really catchy little little part that stayed with you it was it was it was very good um, but I think I think the absolute standout of this song and I think the part that uh, really was done much better on the album version is the the bridge I think that bridge is just an absolute thing of beauty it's so it's so gorgeous and it's it's such a great this is kind of what I mean by dynamics too. On this song, it's like it's such a great uh, change of pace in that in the song. I mean, it, it's completely unexpected, and in the demo version, it's still great in the demo version because it's a great, it's a great, um, you know, very well written piece to the song. But the drums kind of keep going in the demo version. They have like an an odd uh, drum part going there that I don't don't really think works, and in the in the album version they rearranged that to some degree and the drums kind of you hear like a lot of backwards drums actually in that part too, backwards cymbals and things.
you get a lot of Peter Wolf padding with the keyboard, which I think in this case really works well. It's like a, it's a really beautiful, everything just opens up suddenly. And they take, they take the big guitars away for a little bit. And then you get that beautiful line, you know, let all the rain come, come down on blind desire. And I think that, that line, like a thundercloud that holds a prairie fire, that kind of sums up the whole song and maybe a lot of what Stuart was trying to say in this album. I mean, just let something come and, and keep this blind desire in check and, and stronger, smarter minds and stronger hearts prevail. You know, that, that's this plea. Um, a lot of great lines in this song, but a lot of, a lot of lines that I don't really like you, I, they don't really connect with me I, in some ways. Um, I think this was like two one one of the beginning glimpses we get of of a writing style, a lyrical style that Stewart would employ later on to a, a much greater degree, and that is where kind of like these "What are you working for?" "Long way home," "President slipped and fell" type of songs, where he's just like laying out one little snippet after another of of things that really aren't connected, but they're they're meant to convey this overall meaning, and um, that was never really my favorite way that he that he wrote uh i always preferred like a stronger narrative that that led throughout the whole song so when he's throwing all these little little glimpses of things out there i don't think that's as i don't know it just doesn't really connect with me as much but but there are some great lines throughout this and you mentioned them um one of my favorites too is that the hardest love of all is to forgive as the world comes comes crumbling down great line very strong line um and uh, but like you, I think I think the title piece in our time is a little problematic because the one thing about the song that that I think it, it teeters on sometimes is being a little too sloganeering. It's almost like kind of like, uh, you know, your your dorm mates in college who would put up these, you know, stop apartheid posters or whatever it's like maybe that's a bad example but people who would who would put posters up with these slogans these gigantic slogans on it and it was like you know they really didn't understand the issue and it was just almost too big and too general and too generic to really mean anything i think stewart does i think stewart does a good job in this song in the lyrics through the verses, even though I just criticized them to some degree, but I think he does a good job in laying out more personal things. And like you said, the whole air idea of airmail coming and all that, all, all that's really nice. But yeah, when you get to give us peace in our time, this gigantic thing, it, it's, it's good. And as you say, of course we all want that, but it does seem a little bit too, too big in places lyrically. It's like, it, it takes me back to that, Ian Grant quote where he said something like uh, Sting has the rainforest and Bono has whatever Bono had and Stewart can have Russia. <laughs> you know, it's like, what did Bono have? He had nothing. He did he was, say something, but I can't remember what it was. He was just an opinionated prick. <laughs> Sorry, Arlen. Arlen's going to be angry with you for that comment. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it just, it did seem a little forced, you know, like this, this world peace forcing thing but at the same time it was very very relevant and it was for the time period i mean that was what was being talked about that was a huge thing happening on the world scale um although i re i wish i had it now but i recall stewart saying something about this song where he said that it could be taken as a personal type of thing 
rather than a big political statement. And I remember hearing him say that, and I thought, really? <laughs> you know, it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't strike me that way. You know, no. It's, it's kind of like, I don't want world peace, but give me peace. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, leave the room and leave me in peace. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. To Dave Bates. But yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he did. He did say you could take it both ways. He said, you know, it could be this big political statement, or it could be like a personal thing. And when he said that, I almost got the impression that even he was maybe thinking he had gone a bit too big here. That is not a convincing point at all. But uh, yeah, it's almost like he was kind of forced to pick a title to go along with the PR plan around it. And uh, I, 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 I'm not sure if I really believe that was the case, but it it feels kind of like it anyway. Yeah, 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 I think so too. In, it is very sloganeering and very keyed up to the PR activities, and they must have had an eye on that. I mean, the, the song might be the song, but I think the album title and the choice of that title as the album title definitely is uh, not accidental. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Um, yeah, so I mean, there's some there's some strikes against it for me, but overall, I really do like the music of it quite a bit. And I like the, the structure of the song. Um, maybe a little too stop and go at times on the album version. There are some areas where like it, it stops and then it starts and then it stops and then it starts. And maybe that was a little problematic. It is kind of long for a single, you know, and I, it had to be a hard song to release as a single because the, the chorus is great for a single, really mm. catchy, really powerful. But a lot of the other bits and pieces of the song probably had, you know, people like Dave Bates or Peter Wolf pulling their hair out and just thinking, oh, we got to edit this damn thing. You know, how are we going to edit it? And was there an edited version of this for the single? Because I can't, I can't remember what the single, if the single was edited or if it was just the full length version. I don't know. I can't tell offhand, which, uh, you know, I can for most other singles, but this one I really didn't care about. Yeah. But I, I think that the problematic thing about this single choice is if you're going to release the song piece in their time as a single, it should probably have been the, the first single because the first single, when that came out, that was kind of when they launched into the whole Soviet thing at the embassy and playing those gigs and, and all that stuff. And the song they were promoting at the time was King of Emotion. So why not go all the way? Why not give us peace in our time and become that statement that uh, Ian Gren wanted them to be? Because when they finally released it as a single in 1989, nobody took notice. And that, that train had uh, had left the station. The momentum was gone, and uh, nobody was an ambassador for anything. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Very true. Yeah, so, you know, it, it, I, I still think it's a good song. When I, when I heard it, I, I used to play this song all the time. Whenever uh, I would, in the early days, this, I would always play side two first before I would play side one. And in fact, the band I was in at the time actually rehearsed a version of this song. We never actually played it live because we only had one guitar, but it, we tried ah. to figure it out. But uh, but uh, it, it wasn't too bad, but uh, we weren't quite up to the task. But um, Side 2 yeah. does seem to rock a little bit more than Side 1, doesn't it? It definitely does, yeah. Yeah. So again, the, the tracking of the album, I think they definitely could have mixed in a couple songs. Uh, they had the title track, and I dare say songs like... Uh, Time for Living, River uh, river of Hope, and I Could Be Happy Here, all have elements more of the rockier side of the band. And all of these are on side two. Yeah, they are. They so, definitely mixed it up. <laughs> Maybe they didn't for a reason. They, they, they got the songs they, they wanted to make on side one, and they let the band get away with a couple of things on side two. 
Yeah, could be. Could well be. Conspiracy theories. <laughs> so how do you rank Peace in Our Time, the song? Uh, this is my number four. Okay, nice. I was wondering if it was number two or what it was. I, I knew you had it up there in the top half. It, it was. It was. It was actually considered at number two, believe it or not. But um, at one time it was a number two. But see, the I, yeah. The more <laughs> I thought about it, the yeah, I dropped it a little bit. Yeah, I'm not too far behind. Um, I'm sure it's not a surprise that I am behind. But I have it sort of in the album No Man's Land at number six. Got it. G'day guys, this is Dwayne from Tasmania, Australia. Peace in our time, hey? 1988. I still remember the day that I listened with my uncle, to, who was also a fan, to King of Emotion, the single, for the first time. We'd gone down to the record store, got it, new single, big country, King of Emotion, fantastic. By the time the single had finished on the turntable... We looked at each other like a couple of confused puppies. You know, that look they have on their face. And um, it was very strange because it was so different. But I still liked it. And I still like the tune to this day. I can see why Big Country put it in their live sets. Because it is a catchy tune. It's great to sing along to. Even the na-na-nas. I like that. The rest of the tracks I also enjoyed. I like the slow ballads. I like the rocking out of River of Hope, for instance. Peace in Our Time, there was something I didn't that didn't quite gel with me with, with Peace in Our Time. But overall, I really enjoyed the album, and I thrashed it a lot, obviously, because it was that first album that I anticipated being released by Big Country. I'd made a cassette recording of it and taken it to the factory where I just started work. 88 was the year that I started work and I'd just left school uh, a few months earlier. And in the factory where I was working, um, I tried to get everyone, obviously, into Big Country. It was all I was listening to at the time. They didn't want to listen to the early Big Country albums. They wanted to listen to Peace in Our Time. And I played it so much that, you know, there were guys there that were singing along to all the tracks, and they're the ones they wanted to listen to. So I guess on that level, this particular album was successful in that it appealed uh, possibly a little bit more to the general audience. But they weren't listening to it to get that quintessential big country sound, which is why us fans found it a little bit jarring uh, and a little bit of a, uh, a, bit of a shock <laughs> overall. Um, but basically, I still love the songs um, as far as the production goes, there's lots of gaps between sounds in the production. It might be crisp and clean, but unlike the wall of sound that you got in the previous albums and some of the future ones, this album had lots and lots of gaps in the music, empty spaces, not gaps, empty spaces. And um, so that makes it a little bit disconcerting to listen to. But... Uh, Yes, it was certainly a change in direction, but uh, it's, it's an album that I still love to this day.
Now we get to a very interesting tune indeed. Time for leaving. Um, another song where we have the demo for this song so that we can happily compare the two. And um, I got to be honest, this is another one that I give the victory to the Peter Wolf version. Um, some people out there probably would disagree. I've seen that um, mentioned before. Interestingly enough, in the live version of this, which we played on the last episode or on episode 61 anyway, um, had some harmonica in it, which uh, I don't think made it to the demo. I could be wrong about that. I don't think it did. But either way, it was left out on the album version. Kind of interesting choice. Um, it, 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 it survived the cut on Start and Crossed, but I don't know. I don't know how well harmonica. It, it does seem to fit this song, but I'm kind of glad they left it out, to be honest with you. It sounded a little too Springsteen-esque when they added it to this song. Um, but this song is a traditional Stuart Adamson working class song, praising the working class, talking about the struggles of the working class and specifically about people forced to leave, leave their homelands and, and find work in other places. Uh, Australia in this instance with, uh, with all the Bogans like Dwayne Bunny and, uh, Andy Inkster. Um, but uh, yeah, so that this song is is really dealing with a lot of that that kind of stuff, and it sets the sets the tone from the beginning when it's there's an ill wind on the lowlands, a famine in the hills, a rust storm on the northern seas, a dust storm on the skills. Where's the law that holds me in a gray, unpleasant land? I will not dance for the medicine man with the happy pills at hand. Really, really good lyrics that start that song out. I mean, they really paint a really great and bleak picture immediately, but they also give you an insight into this character. It's like, I'm not going to go the route of being hooked on drugs and, and drowning my sorrows by getting strung out on drugs, dancing for the medicine man. You know, this where, where he is in his homeland right now, it's, it's bleak. It's awful, but he's going to, he's going to leave. He's going to find his fortunes elsewhere. And it's, it's kind of a song about, uh, a strength, really. There's a lot of strength that that rolls through this song. And again, we come back to that theme, pride that grows in hardship. And you see that a lot in this song. But what I really like about this song musically, um, one of many things, is you've got those beautiful melodic major key um, guitars in the beginning. And then suddenly you go into this, you know, completely different verse chord progression. And again, it's a really nice showcase for Tony Butler on this song. He's playing some wicked bass on this this tune. like the just the arrangement of this verse and just the way that it feels and the, the one thing that did throw me when I first heard it though was was Stewart's voice I think really went back to that um, Americanized sound on this song but that said I do think he he sings really well on this tune he's singing really hard really powerful you know my only issue with it at the time was that it's like this this sounds good but it it really doesn't sound like Stewart it's like a, I can't believe this is Stuart Adamson. I remember thinking that. And it's 
just like I thought with King of Emotion and some of the other songs. And this was one that really stuck out to me too. Like it just, it just did not sound like the Stuart Adamson I remembered, but that said, very good singing. Um, there are so many, there are so many hooks in this song too. And I don't think they're, I don't think they're cheesy hooks, unlike maybe the na 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 d d d from or nee 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 or knights who say nee or whatever from King King of Emotion. I mean, that right here in my time, right here um, in my mind, uh, chorus um, with the o o o s in the background. I think that's a that's a case where the those o o o s, wo 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 s, whatever. I think they work really really well. incredibly catchy it's classic um, yeah it is it, it, it kind of reminds me of like uh you know some of the skids type stuff I, I wouldn't go quite that far but it but as far as like you know their chant it sounds almost more like a chanting type of thing than it does what king of emotion was It is a completely natural thing to come from the band. I don't think this is a Peter Wolf uh, device at all. It, it's so natural. So I, I'm very pleased that uh, this one comes from the band, and it's very pure. Yeah, and I mean, they were doing it on the demo, too. So you know that yep. they, they were doing it before he even got involved. So yeah, there's no doubt. So I, I love that part. Um, it's, it's really catchy. It adds a lot to the song. One of the other things we've got here that we've had at other points in this album is again this this to me anyway beautiful uh, juxtaposition of cl- the, those beautiful clean guitars over some really raw dirty guitars. I mean, you got to put raw. You got to put an asterisk around anytime you use the word raw or dirty in, in the context <laughs> of this album. Yeah, because you know it could be a lot more raw. It could be a lot more dirty. And and that is one thing I do like about the demo. Again, kind of like peace in our time. I like the rawness of it. Um, uh, in the in some of those guitars, but I think the arrangement is just better in this. Uh, one, just a couple examples in, in the demo version, he gets through the first verse, and then he immediately goes into another verse. It, it kind of works, and sometimes, honestly, I go back and forth with it. But I, I do think that the way they did it on the album, where he goes from the first verse right into the pre-chorus, um, right into the chorus, uh, instead of going into another verse, I think works, um, works better. I will not dance with the medicine man with the happy booze of him. I will pack up my things and go. Another thing about the demo that I really thought was vastly improved on the album version was the for lack of a better word the, the guitar solo section or the bridge section um the, in the in the demo version it's kind of like all over the place the 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 instrumental section in the middle
it's it goes on too long for me and it's like um it sounds kind of too jumbled too much stuff happening and i think peter wolf did a great job on it in whittling it down making it shorter focusing it making it more um obvious as far as the melodies there and one of my favorite parts in it are these little descending clean guitar lines um that first are just played with one guitar and then the second time the second pass they're harmonized I just think musically there's so much there's there's so many layers in this song uh that really make it a really just good song to listen to and there's a, there's a lot happening there are a lot of there's a lot of wonderful textures musically to this tune um one thing that 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 hit me lyrically when I heard it for the first time that kind of threw me a bit you know coming from the first 3 albums so used to Stuart singing about these grand themes and um you know metaphorical type of things and and these huge uh lyrical landscapes that he creates and and then in this song i remember distinctly it was jarring to hear him say you could take my job and shove it <laughs> i just remember thinking like wow that's Stuart adams said that and i wasn't sure how i thought about that because at the time i was really familiar with a country song that many of you probably know uh called take this job and shove it Take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. I don't know. It was a little too too every man uh, for for Stewart's usual lyric writing that I loved. It was just a little too much. But anyway, he would go more that route in in the album's ahead. But um, overall, though, I, I think the lyrics are really good in this song, and and without a doubt, the the best moment for me. Um, well, I really actually have two, but the best moment is the bridge, which I think is really spectacular and and chill inducing And that is a great line. What a great few lines there. And again, giving this sense of someone who's down, but they're not out. They're they're gonna they're gonna change things. They're gonna turn things around. And the good thing about it is you can really apply it to so many different things in life. You know, I've heard people talk about listening to the song as they are leaving a relationship. You know, and they and this chorus really resonated with them because they're leaving it behind, and they're this is a time for leaving. They're gonna make things better. And um, I love that. I think it, I think that's a great success in any writer when they can write a song that's obviously specific, like this one is. This is great. I I, I think it's a a really great focused little piece. And um, again, another another possibility of a single choice. I mean, what would we have thought if this had been our first um, introduction to the piece in our time album instead of King of Emotion. I mean, would we have thought, yeah, Big Country's back. They're a little different, but I really like this. I would have thought so. This is my pick for the single. Yeah, I think it would have worked really well. And like I said, just so many great hooks in it. I really also like the the use and the reference to the company store and Al won't have his dime. Both of those have uh, 
interesting references to old kind of depression era songs. The first being 16 Tons, a song that we used to sing back in grade school. Some people say a man is made out of mud. A poor man's made out of muscle and blood. Muscle and blood and skin and bones. A mind that's weak and a back that's strong. You load 16 tons. What do you get? Another day older and deeper in depth. St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. And the other being a, a song by Al Jolson called Brother Can You Spare a Dime. Once I built a railroad, made it run, made it race against time. Once I built a railroad, now it's done. Brother, can you spare a dime? Say, don't you remember? Don't you remember? They called me Al. It was Al. Al all the time. Don't you remember? I'm your pal. Brother, can you spare a So if you ever wondered where the Al came from in Time for Leaving, that's what it's a reference to. Al Jolson, Brother Can You Spare a Dime. So anyway, th- this is um, this is definitely one of the standout tracks for me uh, on the album. And um, again, I-, I can't believe I'm saying this so much, but uh, I, I got to give give the old boy Peter Wolf some credit for, I think, uh, making this uh, an even better song arrangement wise anyway than than the demo. And it's uh it's it's a great a great big country tune on any album I think, but it's really welcome here because I think we need something of this quality to boost everything else. But uh, no doubt, that's about it for me. That's uh, that was pretty good, and uh, I I agree with most of what you said, including what you said about the demo. Where on this one, I I think they did well with the transitioning into a finished product, but really also the differences are are less. Uh, in this instance than uh, for peace in our time so they really just had to tighten it up and change a couple of uh, of things a couple of things like remove a verse here and tweak the opening there but that, they did the right choices and uh, it really sounds like uh, like a big country song and to to use the same uh, sort of measuring stick as as the previous song i think this one would have stood tall on any album i really really like this song this this to me is the first song on this album that really stands proudly among a lot of the songs from uh, from uh, from previous albums uh more than any other song on this album this is a full-fledged big country song so it feels totally right both musically and lyrically throughout from start to finish not just for part of the song because there have been songs before that i think part of the song is really good and even songs that are rate quite poorly at the end might have had parts that I really liked, but Time for Leaving sort of uh, endures. It stays the course. But uh, before I get too deeply into it, it's uh, first of all worth noting that this is the only song on the album with a full band writing credit. Adamson, Bersecki, Butler, Watson. One of th- one of three songs not solely credited to Stewart, for those who are interested in those kind of detail, and a band composition. And that, that, that is pleasing to me, because this is such a good song, and to hear that they all had such strong input on it that's uh, that's great you know that uh, 
that makes me feel better already but the song itself really takes care of that really from it and I don't have any quotes from Stuart about this song, sadly, because I would love to hear more about it. But I've taken note of a few song introductions from live settings, uh, because it has been introduced in a couple of different ways. Um, on the Under Wraps tour, when playing in Birmingham, Stuart said, This is a song which involves the chasing away of people from their homelands. It's called Time for Leaving. In Newcastle, he added, Most of these concerns people who are denied their birthday. It's called time for leaving. And then again in Livingston, he repeats, This concerns people who are denied their birthright. So with these type of introductions, you immediately know you're going to get a certain type of song from the band. Because these themes are classic big country themes. Song about your homeland. The breaking up of either families or communities or, or on a personal level. So... If this is a song about people being chased away from their homeland or denied their birthright, then yeah, you know, that's great. I see red lines there in the themes. The, the just lines go down their catalog. So immediately you feel a certain familiarity here. It's just classic big country themes. And uh, looking at the lyrics, uh, I see several scenarios being described over the course of this song. And like you mentioned, the first verse describes really a land that has fallen on hard times. Uh, he says there's an ill wind on the lowlands, a famine in the hills, a rust storm on the northern seas, a dust storm on the skills. Uh, I just love the way, again, that the words paint the images very effectively. But it's not a pretty image. It's rough. It's a hard life. Which is why he is wondering if it's worth to stay and keep struggling. Uh, because he goes on to sing, Where is the law that holds me in a grey unpleasant land? So he, he does realize that he doesn't have to stay. There's no law against leaving. Sometimes it's actually a viable option. And the last line is very interesting. I will not dance for the medicine man with the happy pills at hand. <laughs> it's a great line. Yeah. It, it, it works no matter what the actual setting is. Uh, I mean, the rest of the verse gives me the feeling of being from a long time ago uh, and you might have a literal medicine man there in your tribe but it could be more modern days where the medicine man takes a different form to someone being there with i think you know the, the phrase happy pills could mean a lot of interesting things to make you forget your issues just put a band-aid over the things that trouble you instead of taking actual steps so uh, in the first bridge they are taunting and the ingster again with more talk of going to Australia. Uh, and in the second bridge, they mentioned Canada. So, so the, talk of pa uh, the talk of packing up and just going is an enormous liberation. And I just love the line, just strap on some wings and I'll blow. <laughs> That's, it's, it's what you leave behind. Yeah. Uh, those are the things that have weighed you down and you still, you will feel an enormous sense of liberation. Like you just fly away, you leave it behind, you feel free. Yeah, and later uh, tie up my strings and I'll blow, which is nice yes. too. Yeah, exactly. You leave go of the, the weeds that have sort of pinned you down there. So, yeah, it, the sense of liberation because uh, the guy in the song has actually made a decision. And I'll get back to that in a little bit. Uh, there is a demo, like we both pointed out several times. And it's interesting to note that two verses have been taken out of the song between the demo and finished song. And uh, I'm not going to read the lines. You can go to JF&G's site and, and look. And uh, I'm kind of okay with these guys being taken out because it's too much. It's it's more of the same, but it's too much. Um, and I'll just leave it at 
saying that with the overall theme of the song going back to the verses i've already read i'm sure many of us have been in a situation where you have to make a decision about leaving or staying and this is the the beauty of the song to me it's really it could be a relationship do you leave or do you stay or it could be about just moving from where you live to a new location do you leave or do you stay it could be a job do you leave or do you stay in the job it applies to almost every aspect of your life and these decisions are very important they affect the life you will have after the decision has been made to a large degree so i just think this theme it resonates so strongly it's tremendously important and the protagonist of this song has made up his mind like i said he says this is a time for leaving and the song celebrates this aspect of going through with it and starting over and it it celebrates this as a positive this is 100 percent a positive not all changes turn out to be positive but for the purpose of this song because of what you leave behind which is so negative uh, the feeling of freedom that you get is so empowering and again the, the lines we mentioned about the wings and the strings you, you get the wings the wings of freedom when you go through with it or you just feel liberated so the song ends up being a giant inspiration it's it's not actively urging anyone else to take any steps away from anything it's not urging people to move on it's more leading by example so it, it shows that it's possible it, and taking that step can be very hard for a lot of people and this song shows that it's possible so this is a very important song and i love songs that can inspire people to take steps that uh, they deem necessary and uh, this is one of those songs to me. So this is more than a fluffy, I know that love is king of emotion. This is a song that means something, and it means something to me, and it means something to a lot of people. So um, without question, the words that speak the most to me on this album. And for me, it's also the cornerstone song on Peace in Our Time. And it's also a very obvious single choice, primarily for two reasons. Where number one, the song is very catchy with a strong melody and great playing. And number two, it sounds like a big country song. And I think both of these are important when you make your decision for singles. You can yeah. you can take a song that satisfies the needs for catchiness and strong melody. But if it sounds nothing like the band, then people will inevitably start wondering. Exactly. And, uh, and they might not be back. Yeah, and that's the great thing about this song is, is that it... It, it really does show a change in the band's musical direction to some degree. It's different sounds that you hadn't really heard from them before, but yet you will stand proudly by this as a big country song because it feels like big country. It feels yeah. pure and honest. And this is obviously an R.E.L. demo song uh, that, yeah. sur that survived largely as it was with minor tweaks. Uh, good tweaks, but uh, still not, not huge. Like The song wasn't really dissected and, and changed massively. So I, I think uh, it the interference from the producer was on the right level. We didn't have a monstrosity of a keyboard opening that lasted for a minute. And we didn't have <laughs> keyboard stabs uh, punctuating every chord. It, it was perfect. It works fine. So, uh, which takes me to the music. Uh, it's also significant in how much I like the song, how, how the music is. And I think other songs on this album have moments moments or glimpses of the old big country but it's either just a glimpse or those songs fell apart toward the end or they were polished so much and uh, i didn't quite manage to embrace it fully but this song is consistent it just maintains its quality throughout so it is of a quality uh, it is of a caliber that reminds me of the band 
that uh, used to be previously. And even though the song starts with what sounds like uh, Peter Wolf keyboard trickery, what I learned from the article in Making Music Magazine is that the intro contains several sequences, again, of backwards guitar. Really? Oh, wow. Which feels more pleasing than keyboards. But it also still feels like Peter Wolf is making his mark. But uh, okay, I'll forgive him that one. <laughs> uh, still, though, I regard the real start of the song, the moment where the guitar come in after 15 seconds or so with the, the careful strumming. That, that's, from that point, the song builds very nicely. Uh, and the verses are very sparse musically. Almost no guitar, but a clear, strong bass and solid drums. But that is what makes it so effective when the guitars do kick in for the bridge. Very similar to how... I, and only I, feel like they did for Peace in Our Time, the demo. There's a build, and this song maintains exactly the same, where there's a build-up, and things kick in gradually. And when it says, I will pack up my things and go, the, the song gets a really good punch with the guitars when they kick in there. I, I, I love that. that. That's exactly what's been missing on so many songs on this album. And we get it here. It, that just oh, makes me feel so good. Makes me feel so good. Mm-hmm. And there's a moment in the middle of the song where the song just goes from strength to strength. We've spoken about these big country moments before. And this song has a collection of moments that comes just one after the other. None of them are snatched away the same way because they keep replacing. Um, and I'm talking about first the way the chorus plays along. I love the background guitars of the chorus. Really nice, tasty guitar licks. Which are allowed to live they're not removed or replaced by keyboards yeah. and, then, and then after the chorus they go into a stronger section with more pronounced backing guitar and more passionate guitars and band backup singing the band is singing great here and then you come to the solo section with the lovely twin guitars god it chokes me up and then that's not all you have the middle part which is the peak of the song the, the climax when it I will fill my eyes up with the sun and hold my face to the blazing sky, my shadow cast behind me. The ebb and tide, how the song holds back, even after that climax, with a bit of background guitars used to good effect, and then going into the chorus again for a final playout, which, again, is another big country tradition. They're allowed a playout, not a blistering solo playout, but that was never going to come on Peace in Our Time, but I'm pleased just to have the band play the song out. So there are so many nice segments to this song. But having said that, the song is definitely polished. Oh, there's it, no doubt. It, yeah, is. it sounds very clean, uh, but it does stay within what they wanted for this album. Acceptable uh, parameters, I think. Yeah, acceptable parameters, really. The song, This song tells me that they were able to do that without ending up with a song drenched in keyboards with lots of singing ladies and musical compromises that didn't sound like Big Country, because this song definitely does. So, so I'm very happy with, uh, like yourself, I'll, I'll give Peter Wolf a pat on the back. I'm very happy that he resisted the urge to insert himself and his keyboard into this song, at least in a big way, because what rings at the back of my mind is the comment from Tony earlier, where he took an especially huge exception to what he did for From Here to Eternity, and in the process almost seemed to ruin the song for him, at least. So um, th- that didn't seem to happen here. Uh, I'm very happy he resisted the urge to insert himself into his keyboard. 
<laughs> well, uh, he could have At done least, that. Uh, that's, that's true. I don't know that for sure. <laughs> he, maybe he run himself through the Sinclavier. <laughs> Sample that. Uh, we should have. We should have run him through it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, th- this is the band primarily. I, I I mentioned the harmonizing. Stuart and Tony harmonize really well on this song. So. Yeah, I, I don't know if Peter Wolf did any sampling of guitars for this song, but it it certainly sounds less so than on other songs, ex- except for the background guitar that I mentioned, which is really just the intro. And he must have liked the song, because a lot of the Ariel tapes were dismissed, but this one he kept. Well, he must have heard those hooks, you know, and this is probably an example of where those OOOs, he heard that and he was like, okay, that's what we need, you know, yeah. some, some OOOs, but th- in this case it worked out well. Acceptable parameters again. That's right. <laughs> it works. It works both ways. No, but all I can do to to summarize it, it, it's very clear that I'm high on this song. So it's probably no surprise that this is my number one. Your number one, my number two. We are very close on this one. Hi, boys. It's Andy from Melbourne. How are you going? Uh, really enjoyed episode one. Uh, I hope that I've made been able to make the cut for for the rest of the episodes. Um, I'm not going to speak so much about the album itself, um, but I thought I'd just say how it made me feel as a fan. Um, you know, I was really excited about this one. I'd heard the four tracks they'd previewed on the Under Wraps tour. Um, you know, I heard the Radio 1 gig from the Soviet Embassy. I was I was happy that King of Emotion was charting. You know, it's a good for the lead-off single of an album to, to chart and do well. Uh, and then the album was released and I was really disappointed. Um, it just wasn't the big country that I, I knew and loved. Uh, and I, look, I know that that disappointment was shared by so many people um, and so many fans. But, uh, you know, as a fan, you want the best for the band. Uh, you know, you want them to be successful and you care about them as people. Um, and I've, I've defended big country over the years so much. It's become second nature. But for the first time ever... Um, I found it hard to defend what, what was going on with the really heavy keyboard presence and those bloody singing ladies. Um, look, that, that Russian tour knocked the fight out of the band, I think. Um, uh, you know, the supporting UK tour for the album was a full four months after the album's release. Uh, you know, half of, the, half of the fans had jumped off after hearing Peace in Our Time. Um, by the time the second leg of the UK tour was underway, I think the guys were down to playing 13, 14 song sets. Uh, so I knew something was, was, wasn't was right. Um, Mark then leaving the band, well, as a, whatever story you want to believe, Mark no longer drumming with the band. Um, I think that was the first time as a fan it actually made me cry. Um Look, Peace Now Time, it's mellowed on me over the years. I appreciate it now if I listen to it for a variety of reasons. Um, but it will, for, for me, it will forever go down as the What If album. Um, all right, guys, hope you can use this and uh, looking forward to the rest of the uh, episodes. See ya. Okay, uh, that's episode 63, which is the third part of the Peace in Our Time Deep Dive. So it's pretty clear it's going to be four parts uh, with the last three songs and some extras uh, next time. So see you then. Will I see you there, Tom? You might. I might see you there. Damn, I was hoping to run solo. Now you'll see me there. Okay. 
hopefully see you guys there too. How about you? Yes, and let us know what you think of these damn things, would you? It's a lot of work. Yeah, we have three left, and we've done four. <laughs> I knew we wouldn't so. <laughs> get through all of them. Good lord. Oh, God. This is going to be four episodes again. <laughs> of course. Of course it would be. Why wouldn't it? Why wouldn't it indeed? Can you even imagine what the driving to Damascus one is going to be? Uh, five. I dread that more than any of them. Oh, I look forward to that. Oh, I wish I could satisfy your need for a haunting. So this is a country in Western song, and it's called Stand and Cross.